The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. From MPB Think Radio, you're listening to Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Tap, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, and also co-author of the book Piggy Planet, Prudent Investors Get Going Young. Demographers and researchers typically use the early 80s as starting and the mid-90s as ending birth years for the group known as millennials. So today we're giving advice to that age group. Retirement saving versus student debt payment. Saving for a home. These are some of the issues facing the 20 and 30-somethings today. We also, as we do each Tuesday, are looking for any of your personal finance questions. So give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or email the show money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Ryder. Hope you're doing well this morning. Good morning. Doing great. So today is election day. Um, oh, it, yeah. Is there any usual, any corollary between maybe the turnout versus stocks? Uh, I guess maybe the results of the election maybe would be more of an influence. Yeah, so there, there's a couple things going on there. A, a lot of people like to say, and, and we say this a lot, the, the one thing the market hates is uncertainty. Uh, and, and you saw that before the last presidential election, but in the, about a month or so right before the election, um, the stocks were very volatile. Um, but right after the election, kind of once, you know, once we know, all right, here's the candidates, here's who's going to be there, here's what likely policy outcomes they're going to be, you know, stocks took off. They adjusted to what levels they, you know, kind of, they adjusted pretty quickly. Um, but also, you know, things like, you know, and that, and that was, you know, we knew we had tax cuts coming, but also there's other policy things like tariffs we maybe didn't, didn't know about. So, uh, midterm elections are a big, big area of uncertainty because you can really change what's going on in, in Washington. And I, I was looking at some, some studies uh, a couple days ago and, and one of them indicates that, uh, most years, you know, where you have a gain, you just kind of expect on average, the gain just kind of comes all year long. Sometimes there's, you know, the lull in the summer or whatever. But on midterm uh, election years, you often see uh, the stock market is ultimately flat before the elections, and most of their gains come after the elections. Uh, so while I can't see the future, I can say the first half of that has definitely lived up to expectations because the U.S. market, while we've had a couple of steep rises, we've also had a couple of uh, quick, dramatic falls. So we're, we're pretty much where we started. Now, if we're going to take off um, starting you know, tomorrow morning, I, I, I don't know, um, but that certainly is a pattern. Uh, and just anecdotally speaking, uh, talking to a number of coworkers here this morning, the, this uh, midterm uh, is unusual in that I think the, the number of voters, I've, I've heard things about uh, the number of absentee ballots requested. Mm-hmm. It's all in the national media. And as I said, talking to several folks around here this morning, uh, polls are going to be busy throughout the day. Absolutely. So uh, we would uh, encourage you uh, to use your right to vote and uh, go there. Um, and uh, SOS.MS.gov, I believe, mm-hmm. is the Secretary of State's website. If you need information about how to vote or where to vote, that's a great 
place to go mm-hmm. uh, resource for voting. Yeah, and there will be a lot of people voting. And remember, if you are in line before 7 o'clock, uh, before the deadline, you, uh, you, you will get to vote. Uh, any other financial news to, to share? Well, that, that's the big thing I was looking at. Um, it's you know a little less directly financial, but it's, it's, it's a very big event nonetheless. All right. So uh, today we are looking for your personal finance questions, as we do each Tuesday, but also we're going to offer some financial advice for millennials. Again, that's uh, the early 80s uh, to the mid-90s, uh, so people in their 20s and 30s now. People uh, like me. All right. So we have a millennial <laughs> here, so that's good. one uh, mpb ring is the phone number. It's one 672 You can email the show money at mpbonline.org. Now, if you counted my age as just the amount of time I've been working here at uh, MPB, I would be a millennial too, but unfortunately, oh. there's an extra 20-something years I have yeah. to tack on to that. I'm, I'm not sure that's how they <laughs> they count the generations, uh, but you can check on your census and see if that's... I'll be coming up soon. So, uh, you know, we always talk about, and not just for millennials, but a good idea, financially speaking, is to try to set goals, financial goals. Absolutely. What would be some goals that maybe 20 and 30-somethings would want to think about and realistically could set? Um, so you're in your 20s, your early 30s. You're not necessarily thinking about super long-term things like retirement. People, Most people don't really think about retirement until they can kind of see it. You know, they're in their late 50s, uh, they're even early 60s. They get a letter from Social Security. That's when people start thinking about it. So people aren't necessarily thinking about that, but I would always encourage people uh, because because when you're young, time is on your side. And that is going to be a goal one day. So take advantage of time being on your side, even if it's just, uh, you know, making sure your 401k is set up with work and and starting something. Um, You know, you might not be able to put a whole lot in. Generally speaking, people say, you know, you need to target 15 to 20 percent of your income saved up over a 35, 40 year career to be able to retire comfortably, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So kind of keep that as a guide. You know, don't you know, maybe you can't start with 20 percent of your income. That's a lot. Um, But start with something and try to raise that every year. So so do take it, take a take a glance at the long term, even if even if that's not your big focus right now. Um, and also, I think, uh, especially I would guess in the 20s, mid to early, uh, early to mid 20s, most people are first out on their own for mm-hmm. the, the first time and probably realizing that, you know, mom and dad aren't paying for everything uh, yeah, anymore. Yeah. Uh, so to learn about finance, where would be some uh, places to go and, and maybe some tips for people uh, to, to be better financially aware? That's tricky. Uh, I always like to uh, throw out this t- totally made up statistic of mine that that uh, look, there's a lot of financial uh, advice on the internet, and 90% of it is actually bad. It's horrible. It, you will you will be worse off having read that advice. Um, 10% of the advice is good. Um, you know, it's just you know, it's often basic stuff like save money, invest, like don't, don't light your money on fire. Uh, you take advantage of your 401k, that sort of stuff, but it's not necessarily tailored for you. So if you have a specific question like, Oh, what's the best investment in my 401k or like how many dollars ought I be saving each month? It's, it's not going to be tailored for you. It's not going to be specific to you. Uh, sometimes there is a tiny little 1% bit of information on the internet that is actually really good and is really for you. And I guarantee you, you will never find it. Uh, 
Um, so one, always go with trusted resources. There's a lot of people who are kind of doing this journey on their own who have blogs. Um, and keep in mind, that is what works for them. They are talking about what works for them. And you know what? They might not even be talking about it. Like their, their advice that they're following might not pan out for them. It's just what they're doing right now. But, you know, looking at trusted resources, you know, the Wall Street Journal and uh, Bloomberg are two large financial uh, media companies. They, generally speaking, don't have bad information. They have articles. They have podcasts. They have uh, and, and they're, you know, follow. Follow some of their writers that you like that you can access um, on on Twitter or on Facebook, and they will point you to other resources that are generally good. Um, and then there's some financial resources uh, like Morningstar, uh, which is they it's a mutual fund data company, but they also have a lot of uh, a lot of articles and analysis to go alongside that. Um, but also find. Find a person you can talk to. Uh, it doesn't. You don't necessarily have to pay a financial advisor, but find a, even a, just a mentor, someone who's financially savvy and who you can kind of lean on for questions. And if they can't answer those questions, someone who is willing and able to kind of point you in the direction of someone who might be able to help you a little bit more or at least identify when you need more specific help. Uh, we have a caller on the line, so we will say good morning to Margie, who's called in today. Go ahead, Margie. You're on the air with us. All right, thank you. Go ahead. All right, thank you. I uh, I was calling to inquire about the, the the students who are suffering with mm. student loans. They mm. are Freddie and and Sally, or whatever you call them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sally May. You could go to school uh, at no cost. You go to college at no cost, but all those other students. Back in the day, they're about to quit their jobs. Some have already quit because they have to pay so much on time in order to keep their credit and all this stuff up. And they're just absolutely suffering. So what can be done to get about those uh, You're absolutely right, Margie. And so just let's back up a little bit. You know, we're talking about millennials as a generation. Um, And uh, as a generation, the youngest millennials, I think now they say are about 21, 22. So probably, you know, there are a lot of a lot of millennials still in school, uh, professional degrees, graduate degrees, uh, PhDs, etc. But a lot of us are in the workforce now. We're young professionals by and large. Um, but a lot of us do have student loans. The uh, volume of student loans has absolutely ballooned over the past 10 years. And so the folks who have who are carrying most of that student loan debt, yes, are millennials. And part of that is just because they're only just starting to pay that off. Um, as far as specific, uh, there, there are... There are big generational issues with that, but looking on the individual, and I can get back to that, but looking on the individual basis, their federal student loans are, I do encourage people to look at them. They're often a very good deal. It's some of the... Some of the terms of the debt are are some of the best you'll ever have. Some of them are pretty awful. You know, it can't be discharged in bankruptcy. So if your situation gets so, so, so terrible, like you still have that bill. That's not great. 
However, they have them set up so they have it's generally very easy to get uh, forbearance. If you if you have lost a job, if you have, you know, uh, an emergency and you just simply have no money, it's usually not that difficult to work with your servicer to just pause your payments for a couple of months. So that's one thing that people who are under truly, truly under deep, deep, deep stress uh, might want to look at. Secondly, there are a lot of payment plans. You can, you know, the standard plan is usually just a 10-year repayment. You know, kind of it amortizes, so you pay a little bit of principal, a little bit of interest every month, and you pay a, f- the, a flat amount for 10 years, and, and then it's gone. Um, you can extend that. Uh, you can put that on a graduated payment or one that is often very appropriate for people is looking at an income-based plan. And an income-based plan limits the amount that you pay to uh, either 10 or 15, just depending on the actual loan, 10 or 15% of your income. But it's 10 or 15% of your income after uh, a little bit of um adjustment for the poverty level. So you'll never be you'll always be paying less than 10 or 15% of your income on an income based plan. And that's very good for people who are just starting just starting working, may you know, because you have the highest debt load that you're going to have uh, and the lowest income. So if you were on just a straight payment plan, that might be a huge chunk of your paycheck. But if you put it on an income-based plan, then that payment might be zero uh, or it's it, it should be very affordable. And those options, it, 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 it's tough because, you know, you're young. It's you have a huge debt balance and that's intimidating and you don't know what to do about it, but tackle it, absolutely tackle it and look to see what your options are. Um, Because again, income based plans, you know, just getting yourself on a payment that works for you is is what's going to make that is what's going to make that go away over time. And much like credit cards, I would say, too, if, if you have a situation like that, don't ignore it. Pretend it'll go away. That'll only make it worse. But as Absolutely. you say, investigate yeah. and, and try to find something that'll work yeah. out. Because and other thing that we say with when you owe people money, a lot of times they want the money. So they will work with you mm-hmm. uh, to make it to where that you can repay those loans. That's so easy to re- uh, so important to remember. Uh, we need to take a quick break today. We're talking about financial advice for millennials. Also looking for your personal finance questions. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email the show money at mpbonline.org. A question to think about during the break. Do kids these days make more or less money than their parents did? We'll have that for you when we get back from this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss part of this show or another show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash talks to listen again. Also, if you download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone, you can listen to MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, and we're talking about financial advice for millennials today on the show, but also looking for your personal finance questions. A reminder of our phone number, it's one mpb 
ring. The phone number is one 672 You can email the show as well, money at mpbonline.org. Before the break, we asked if kids made more or less than their parents do these days. Uh, millennials are earning about 20% less than their parents did. Uh, to further illustrate why millennials are delaying life events such as marriage or home ownership, consider that when adjusting for inflation, the average worker in the 24 to 36 age group earns $10,000 less than their parents' generation did at the same age, which is about 20% less purchasing power. Also, the average student loan debt, which we just mentioned uh, for a millennial, is double that of previous generations. So speaking of uh, student loans, we have another caller on the line. So let's talk to Rachel from Jackson. Good morning, Rachel. You're with us on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Go ahead. Um, I I just had a quick tip um, on paying them, paying student loans off earlier. Um, I did not realize this um, for about three years into paying back my student loans. I just, you know, if I had a, a date that they were due, I paid them on the date that they were due. And it wasn't until um, about three years into it, and I just noticed that it, I, it, it just seemed like the, the principal balance was just not going down. And um, then I realized that if I paid my student loans as soon as I got the statement not waited until the due date if I paid it as soon as the statement came out and I knew what my monthly you know payment was going to be that month Mm -hmm. um, I paid almost no interest so um, I would go back and look at my statements and when I paid them on the due date you know it would be like 50, 60, 70 dollars of the payment was going just to interest, but when I paid them almost a month early, um, it was like $6 was going to interest every mm-hmm. month. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I, and I wish I had known that, but if you if you pay them like a month early, um, then it, almost all of the payment goes to principal, and um, that made a huge difference. All right, Rachel, uh, good call. Thanks for the tip. And, you know, that's the, the interest is something that you have to keep in mind, again, not only for a student loan or loans of any kind, but credit cards as well. But that's something that a lot of people, I guess, don't don't consider. Right. Yeah. So uh, and a couple things. Uh, one thing with a lot of federal loans, if you this is a great tip just for getting in, keep maintaining that habit. If you put it on auto pay and you have it automatically deducted out of your bank account, then they'll actually reduce your interest uh, rate by, I think it's a quarter of a percent, um, which you know is isn't huge but you know you're saving money and that and that's a good thing also you're in a way better habit you're more likely to pay it um what rachel was saying is is good you think about this the interest accrues on a daily basis so if you kind of get ahead of it by a few days uh you can you can shave off some of that interest um uh she had a pretty dramatic uh change there uh which i mean that that's awesome um but it, it just goes to show that the these are absolutely it, it's super important that you 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 look at your student loans you understand what all there is you understand your repayment options you understand how paying it affects everything understand that and it can be a big scary intimidating thing um, at first but once you learn how to manage it 
you can you can really use all these just kind of small things to your advantage, and and they do not have to be a pain. And I think and I think as Rachel mentioned that she was able to get a month ahead. So if, if if somehow you were able to make a double payment one month and you get a month ahead, then you can stay on that monthly schedule. But again, you're a month ahead of the game, so it would help out uh, when it comes to interest. Mm-hmm. The other interesting thing you mentioned uh, about auto pay, and that's uh, I just got a new phone, mm-hmm. uh, and so my AT and T you know plan switched a little bit. Uh, but they will now take ten dollars off of my monthly bill if I sign up for auto pay, which I'm strongly considering doing because. It's like, you that's, know, yeah, that's 10 bucks a month. That's right. great. You're going to have to pay it anyway. I have it in my budget to pay it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why not take advantage? And actually, what I was thinking of uh, was uh, to put it on my credit card that has points. There you Again, go. Again, knowing it's I've got the money in my budget I'm, I, and Kevin, I will set up an auto you've, pay you've myself. Been li- you've been listening to some <laughs> you've been listening to some financial show on public radio, haven't you? Um, I would say and we always get someone wants to, you know, remind us when we talk about auto pay is um, uh, on something that can vary your cell phone bill might vary make sure you check it um every month um a lot of times now it's easy to i I get a text message like two weeks before any bill is actually drafted out of my account so i know i know what's coming and if you know if i have a particularly large electric bill or a particularly large water bill or something i can kind of watch out for it um so that's always something to watch out for on auto pay uh something like student loans it's going to be a fixed payment for the most part they do, you know, maybe some annual adjustments, um, but j- j- because it's always important to, just to make sure you budget that just so you don't hit those overdraft fees on your bank account. Right. And uh, also the good thing my bank does is uh, on my online banking screen, it will um, it actually will tell me about bills that are upcoming. I'm not sure how. Oh, that's awesome. And it's not with all of them. But, yeah, a lot of them will say, hey, by the way, you've got the, the phone bill coming up. So don't forget about that. We got another caller. So let's this time speak uh, to Janie from Mobile. Good morning. You're on the air with us. So go ahead. You there? Uh, Hello? All right, let's check on that. We'll get to that call in just a minute. Uh, in the meantime, we're talking about some uh, financial advice for millennials. Uh, one of the other things is to track spending. And, you know, a lot of this, it certainly applies to millennials, but it applies to everybody as well. Uh, so and when we talk about tracking spending, you can get an app, you can get a spreadsheet, that sort of thing. But it could be as simple as getting a notebook and saying, today I ate lunch at, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Subway, $6.52, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Exactly. Um, w- one of the best things, you don't have to, you're not going to spend your life tracking every dollar that you spend. Um, but it is important to have a really good idea about where your money is going. And, and that's what you get from tracking your spending. I tracked my spending obsessively uh, for a, a year or so. And then I tracked it a little less obsessively. And now I just pretty much just look at my account and make sure I didn't spend too much in a single month. And if I did, then I'm like, all right, well, I'll adjust things a little bit more next month. Um, So you'll kind of learn what works for you. But I I do think having a very good idea of where your money is going is super important. And if you just do that by looking at your bank account, looking at your credit card statement, you know, once a week, once a month and going in detail, like actually adding up, you know, I spent X number of dollars on dining out. I spent X number of dollars on gas. Oh, this was an emergency expense. I hope I don't see that again. And then the next month when you compare it again, you know, say, okay, I spent a little less money on dining out. That emergency expense came up again. 
is that a habit that I'm developing? Is that something I just I need to get out of, or is that something I just need to plan for? Um, so there's there there's all sorts of things like that where tracking your spending, understanding where your money is going, is uh, is 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 going to it's going to give you a, a lot of uh, of knowledge uh, to to manage that spending. Uh, one of the other suggestions on uh, our script here is to give back. It says the nonprofit fundraising consultant Blackbaud analyzed the charitable habits of Americans and found that 75% of millennials made a financial gift to a nonprofit in 2013 and that they did more volunteer work last year than any other generation. Do you think yeah. it's important to, to give back uh, to your community? Absolutely. Um, I, I think I – think uh, giving back is part of anybody's spending plan. And uh, we kind of talk about it a lot with um, when we talk about ways to teach children about finance, ways to teach them about managing their money is, you know, you have a couple of buckets. You know, this is your spend bucket, this is your save bucket, and this is your give bucket. Or maybe not give, but spend on other people. Um, you know, gifts, um, helping other people out when they need it. I, I do think charitable giving is very important. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be it's part of your values and your values will communicate through how you spend your money and uh, of course for a lot of millennials you know we're not able to make a huge impact um, but if you want to give five dollars a month to your local public radio affiliate then you can call now and sign up um, and if you raise that to ten dollars then they'll give 10 pounds of food that was, that was <laughs> that two was weeks ago sorry i'm um, getting carried away um but but even just getting into the habit okay because again i say this all the time starting with a small amount you get into the habit of giving um and that's a way to to expand your network and get into other community groups um there's a lot of young professional groups that are based around service and charity and uh and millennials you know sometimes if they're not super busy, do have time to spend, uh, do have energy to give. And uh, and so if you can't give money, you know, give your time and talents. Exactly. Uh, we've got a call to get to, but let's take a break first. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. When we get back, we'll continue talking about financial advice for millennials. And Virgil's on the line for Mobile. Virgil, we'll get to your call right after this break. During the break, think about this. What do you think the average student loan debt is in Mississippi? And where do we rank in the country? We'll have that for you when we get back from this break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Tap, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We are talking today about financial advice for millennials, but also looking for your personal finance questions. Uh, before the break, we asked about the average student loan debt in Mississippi. Uh, the average debt per borrower is $30,268. Uh, and so uh, the percentage of graduates with debt is about 50%. So at least uh, if you graduate, you probably have will be in a little bit better uh, position to pay off the debt. We've got two calls in Mobile to get to. Virgil, I, if you would, hold on for just a minute because we got Janie back on the line via Skype. So Janie, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Hi, um, I have one question. Um, I work at a large uh, corporation in Mobile, and um, I've been looking around for uh, financial planners, mm -hmm. and what I'm getting is 1% uh, of what you have in your 401k. That can be very expensive. Do you pay that on a, um, on a yearly basis? 
Okay, so uh, the, what what looks like is going on is a lot of investment advisors, uh, myself included, they charge on uh, the basis of how much they're managing. The general idea there is if you have a lot of money, your, your financial decisions, the advice you need, it has a much bigger impact on you um, money-wise. Uh, it's a little weird for them to charge on your 401k because that's typically held at an, uh, an account. I mean, I, I typically can't manage someone's 401k. It's a little, uh, that's a little weird. It's usually outside investment accounts. Um, 1% is, is fairly typical. Um, if you don't have any outside investments, um, maybe if you could just go to a financial planner that just charges a strict plan fee or a, um, or an hourly fee. I know that, but look for a fee-only financial planner because it's important. Fee-only means that you, the fee you pay them is the only way that they receive compensation. You don't want them being paid uh, by some company that you know has a certain product or a certain agenda they want you to get on. Uh, for instance, if you went to you know American Express for a financial advisor, don't be surprised if they're like, yeah, just put all your expenses on the American Express card and pay tons of fees to us every like that that's the sort of conflict you don't want um but looking for uh folks with a designation like cfp or cfa um a chartered financial analyst or certified financial planner those are two uh they have good ethical standards um but again fee on ask fee only ask if they're fiduciary to you um and ask if there's a way you can pay other than just a percent of your 401k. You know, just get a financial plan from them or, you know, sit down and ask them questions about uh, big finance, big expenses, goals, transitions you have ahead, uh, things you don't understand. And, um, and, and find someone who's going to be a good financial resource to you. Thank you so much. All I right. appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Janie. Uh, we'll stay in Mobile for our next caller. Virgil's on the line with us. Virgil, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Oh, good morning. Morning. Uh, I'd like to know if there's a general percentage that you could apply to that uh, minimum required distribution that you have to begin taking at 70 and a half uh, from your retirement plan. Uh, is, mm-hmm. You know, if is it 4 or 5%? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's about 4%. So what they do, how that is calculated is it's based on the uh, an actuarial table, so how many years they anticipate you living. And if you are 70 and a half, um, according to the tables, it looks like you're going to live about another, I think, 26 years. And so they just divide your account balance by that number. I think it's 26.2 or maybe 24 points. I mean, it's something around there. So yeah, it does work out to about 4% for your first year. And it just slowly creeps up. Your uh, your life expectancy um, at that point, it goes down by about half a year for every year uh, longer that you live. Wow. Well, that's great news. Cause- I think. We may have just lost him. But this is a thing you can look up. Um, it, it's pretty easy. The, the trick is you can only do the calculation. It's based on the value uh, of the last day of the year. So if you're taking a if, – if next year you're going to be taking a required minimum distribution, you won't know the account balance that you're taking that distribution on until, you know – close of business December 31st or whatever the last trading business day 
of of this year is, and then you just divide it by your you know kind of life expectancy uh, according to the tables. Very easy to find. Just Google like RMD tables, RMD year table, something like that. All right, Virgil, we appreciate your call. If you have a question for us today, a personal finance question, or we're also talking about financial advice for millennials, you can call us at one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email the show money at mpbonline.org. So again, the millennials are people in their 20s and 30s, and that's the time of life when uh, maybe credit card offers might uh, be appearing in the mail. Um, maybe some either warnings or just some things to think about for people who are just beginning uh, their financial life on their own uh, uh, in terms of uh, credit cards. Uh, don't apply for all of them. Don't go crazy. Uh, so a lot, a lot of these financial areas uh, for millennials, um, as long as you know you haven't got like you know into too many financial issues when you're just starting out. The value of getting a little bit of knowledge around these things is so, so important. There's just, I mean, just a little bit of research, a little bit of understanding, like we talked about with student loans. If you just understand what are your payment options, how, you know, how do you talk to your servicer about these things? Pick up the phone, call them, ask them all the questions you have. Um, because having that little bit of knowledge goes a super long way when you're just getting started. So with credit cards... You know, I advocate spending on credit cards. It it helps uh, manage your cash flow as long as you're paying that thing off at the end of the month in full every month. Never carry a balance. Put it on auto pay, uh, and then, you know, you're not going to be charged interest. I I generally advise people start off with a card that does not have a fee on it. Um, It's not necessarily going to be as good as some other ones, but at least you won't be being charged just for holding the card. Although sometimes a small fee is worth it uh, if if the benefits are good. Um, And one, pay it off at the end of the month. I can't emphasize that enough. Um, Skipping a single payment it is it can be a ton of interest payments and that can really it can just knock you for a loop uh that that you weren't expecting and it can be a vicious cycle there um but just start with one use it use it you know don't put all your spending on it all the time uh when you're just getting started make sure you're not using if they say okay we're gonna let you spend up to a thousand dollars a month don't spend the full thousand um start with again for your credit score start spending you know less than 300 less than 500 is one benchmark less than 300 is another less than 100 is the best of course that's hardly any money there um but work with him um call call people at your credit card company and just ask them about hey what you know how does this affect my credit how does it affect my credit score if i do this keep in mind their job is to encourage you to use the credit card but they they will have hopefully have valuable factual information for you uh, and I would say, uh, too, as we talked about with the student loans, be aware of what the interest rate is. And so mm-hmm. a lot of times you can shop around. The credit card companies are out there trying to get your business. Uh, so try to get the best deal for you. And, again, I would also say if maybe you are someone who is learning to resist impulse spending. Uh, I know at one time, I think one time on the show, we had someone who actually froze their credit card in a block of ice mm-hmm. in the freezer. But, you know, maybe put it in a drawer somewhere. So Because uh, I found out when I was trying to control spending that a lot of times if it's in your wallet, you're going to pull it out for mm-hmm. something and then you get home or whatever and you say, why did I spend on that? So if you have yeah. issues with that and you're trying to discipline yourself, 
keep it out of there to where you have to make a concerted effort to go get it. And again, like we were talking earlier about, you know, tracking your spending. If you sit down with that credit card statement every month and look at all your transactions and just and, and just take a moment to reflect on them, um, you know, be like, wow, why did I keep spending? You know, spent an extra two dollars and fifty cents every day just because I stopped at the gas station and got a snack or something. It's like, could I, you know, did I need to do that? Could I cut that out? Um, even if it's not a lot, just getting yourself in the habit of one having great visibility into what you're spending, and and two, being aware of what you're spending, so you can you can. You can start to spend better in a way that you in, in, in the way that you want to. It's like, wow, is is buying three snacks every day like my personality? Is that my thing? If it's your thing, like sure, spend the money. But if it's not, if you have more important things going on, then you'll you'll learn you can cut those things out pretty easily. And also I would say, you know, don't beat your ups but don't beat yourself up too much. The, you know, learning to manage your money, learning to not impulse buy, these are things that it's, it's training. And so, mm-hmm. you know, realize that you're gonna make some mistakes along the way. The important thing though is when you review that statement and you see the snacks and you think to yourself no I don't want to do that change your don't behavior. Don't do it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it's really important. You you look at those expenses, you say, you know, am I am I happy that I spent that money? Was that money worth spending? And um, and then hold yourself to those things the next month. Uh, something else that I guess millennials might be doing is when they move out and living on their own, maybe graduate from college, is looking for a place to live. Uh, some things mm-hmm. that uh, first-time renters need to keep in mind about some of the costs associated with living in an apartment. Yeah, w- one thing that I, I think a lot of people um, look, you know, your apartment, you know, your landlord's going to tell you how much it costs. Uh, hopefully you're going to get into a good idea of how much your utilities are. You know, maybe if you have to go off site to do your laundry, whatnot. Um, one thing that's pretty important, especially if you have, you know, say electronics or computers, things like that, uh, renter's insurance. It's usually very cheap. And I, I mean, I had a friend who who had renter's insurance. His house was broken into. His uh, fairly expensive laptop was stolen. Um, and um, that renter's insurance paid for itself many, 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 many times over uh, very quickly. Uh, so it, it gives you a little bit of peace of mind and it's very affordable usually. Um, but yeah, living on your own, you're going to need to learn how to budget those, those big life expenses of rent, utilities, food, you know, are you grocery shopping? Are you going out, uh, for dinner every night? And, uh, you know, just, just look at those, uh, again, pay attention to the expenses and pay attention to, you know, the result of the expenses. If you're like, great, I've shifted all my food money to buying at the grocery store and I spend a lot less money. It's like, well, are your groceries just sitting there rotting in your fridge? You know, are you actually eating them or are you still just like buying a lot of groceries and then going out to eat anyway? Uh, So paying attention to what actually happens uh, once your money turns into products. And again, something that you would want to look out on the front end is the lease. What are you uh, obligating yourself for? The length mm-hmm. of time, that sort of thing. Look out for any deposits. In m- most places, you're going to have a security deposit. If you have a pet, you're going to have a deposit as well. Mm-hmm. And then also, I would think you know things like proximity to work. Yeah, I mean, if you mm-hmm. find a place, but it's not near where you work, 
add in some extra money for gas, that sort of thing. So Absolutely. Uh, again, always a good idea to plan out on the front end. And again, the uh, the toga parties, leave those at the uh, your college dorm room uh, because you don't want to have an expensive uh, no. bill for damage to an apartment. No. It's not yours. It's someone else's. So watch out. Uh, let's take one final break this hour. When we get back, we'll continue with some financial advice for millennials. We've also had a couple of great personal finance calls this morning. So if you have one, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You know, we mentioned that millennials are putting off getting married. What do you suppose the average age to get married now is? It may be surprising to some. We'll be back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Today we've been talking about financial advice for millennials. That's uh, 20 and 30-somethings. But we've also been taking some personal finance questions, and there's still time to work in a call if you have a question for us. The phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email the show as well, money at mpbonline.org. And there are some uh, either-or questions, I guess, that millennials need to think about when they uh, begin to uh, live out on their own, financially speaking, maybe into their first job. Um, We touched on this a little bit earlier in the show, but uh, the idea of should I be paying off my student debt or should I be saving for retirement Mm -hmm. or can you kind of do a little bit of both? Uh, I would encourage people to do both. Like I started in the beginning, you know, you, you you don't need to spend, you're not going to spend a lot of your time with retirement planning when you start your first job. So try to just start something in the background, you know, participate in your jobs 401k. If you can't participate in your 401k, uh, you know, open up a Roth IRA or a personal IRA and and try to put a little bit of money into it first. Um, now I'm going to back up a little bit here. The, the, usually the first and biggest priority I want people to have is building up some emergency savings. Um, the the amount you need is going to depend greatly on who you are, what your spending is like, what kind of other activities, access to money and credit you have. But typically people say, you know, a couple of months expenses, think about what emergency looks to you, you know, losing your job, maybe a medical expense, you know, what's your, what are your medical deductibles, car deductibles, things like that. Make sure you have enough to cover that. But once you've got a good start on your on your savings, a level you're comfortable with, you're still adding to it, then you can really kind of ramp up everything else and pay a little more attention to what your student loan payment is. As long as you're making the minimum on the student loan, like, I'm not going to be too worried about you. Um, but like we learned from a caller earlier, you know, the more you learn, there are some tips and tricks you can do to, one, pay it down a little bit faster if that's your thing, or to get it to a more comfortable payment if your payment is currently a little bit high. Um, But you can do that alongside uh, working on retirement savings, working towards other goals. Um, But but retirement savings is a big priority. Um, Student loans is a a priority insofar as they're getting taken care of. But um, it's not a thing where I'm like, oh, yeah, you should absolutely dedicate your life to to paying down your student loans. Whereas, you know, if you've hit your other goals, I would say, yeah, just pour your pour your money and energy 
energy into retirement savings because, you know, the more you do it, the faster you do it, the, the more financially secure you'll be in the future. But I like what you said about that the emergency fund because, you know, when you think about that, one of the benefits of someone just starting out in their their work career is that they do have a little bit of time to think about retirement. And we're saying don't ignore it, don't forget about it. But something with an emergency fund, you know, the car breaks down, yeah. you go to the hospital, that sort of thing. Those are now. Those are things mm-hmm. that you're going to have to come up with. How am I paying next month's rent? That sort of thing. So they're mm-hmm. very short term and it's important to, as you said, get that a little bit squared away yeah. and then you can begin to think about some longer term goals. And that's what's going to give you at least, you know, you know, kind of psychologically a little bit of financial stability, which lets you uh, approach your other financial issues with a little more sound mind, a little less stress. And again, I would say, too, again, spending is something that's it's a learned behavior. It's it's not easy to do. And so you might think to yourself, five, ten dollars a month in a savings account. Well, that's not going to make any difference. You know, but again, it's beginning. It's beginning. It's going to build up and be slowly or whatever. But again, it's it's helping you learn that habit of putting some money away for savings for an emergency fund, that sort of thing. And then once you get into it, it's it's amazing to me how uh, how easy it become easier it becomes. And then, you know, you look up and think, wow. Now look how much money I already have saved away. And in those early months when you're paying a lot of attention to your spending and a lot of attention to your budgeting, uh, you'll find extra money at the end of the month. And you can say, great, you know, I keep a little cushion in my checking account so I don't get overdrawn. I mean, again, just an area where I lit, you know, just get getting a little process in place is going to make a big difference. But once you have money left over at the month, you know, pushing that to savings. Once you get to a comfortable level of savings, think, okay, I consistently have money left over at the end of the month. Uh, my student loan balance is going down. Let's raise that 401k contribution. Um, let's start building that. Uh, you know, some people want to do a vacation fund. Cool. Do that. Uh, some people want to set money aside for a home down payment. Cool. Do that. Some people need to set money aside because they're going to have car repairs or buy a new car. So, um, you know, and, and, and don't don't get that confused with your your emergency savings. Just use that emergency savings as your as your backup pad. It's it's a little peace of mind back there. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the 401k uh, and the employer match. Do, mm-hmm. do most employers these days offer some sort of plan? Uh, no, no. Um, I'm not sure what the percent of uh, employers offering plans are, but a 401k, just brief overview, it's a defined contribution plan. That's There's 401ks, 403bs, 457, whatevers. There's a number of different names for them, simple IRAs, SEP IRAs, um, just depending on the what structure makes sense for the employer. Um, but essentially, all that's promised is that you can put money into it. And typically with these things, any money that you defer out of your paycheck will always be yours. Uh, and you should, generally speaking, be able to access it, although it is designed for retirement in mind. You often get uh, a tax break for putting money in. You reduce your taxable income. Sometimes your employer will have a match. Uh, often 3% for some reason is very common. That's one of those numbers. I haven't really looked into the history behind. I'll do that in the future. Um, it's it's fairly common, but your employer might not match. I saw someone recently they had a plan where the employer matches like one percent now, and in a couple of years they'll match a little bit more and a little bit more. And um, you know, one absolutely take advantage of that match, but don't think of that match as a maximum or anything. Your maximum in a four hundred one k every year. The IRS just announced next year it's going to be nineteen thousand dollars. So if you want to max it out, don't don't tell me you've maxed it out until you've put in nineteen thousand. 
dollars, and and that's that. That is a lot of money that you're putting aside uh, for for long term goals like retirement. Um, so there's the match is one part which may or may not come. Um, and again, recommend fifteen to twenty percent of your income. You know, again, not necessarily from day one uh, is what you need for a comfortable retirement. And then you'll have investment options. Uh, what's good these days, uh, the plans have been getting better and better, and people will have uh, lower cost funds are available and also what's called target date funds. I don't necessarily think they're the best for people for their full lifespan, but when you're getting started, uh, they can be a pretty good option. They are sometimes the best options in folks' plans, and it's it's a really simple one-stop shop. You say, you know, I'm going to retire in 40 years. What is 2018 now? So that's 48. So, okay, there's a... There's a 2050 plan or a 2045 plan, and so I'll just put my money in there. And that, you know what? When you just get started, that's probably a pretty good option for the first couple of years. Um, and one of the things I like about uh, some of the uh, insurance for state workers is that it's paid with pre-tax dollars. And I thought you mentioned, is that usually the case when you make a contribution to a 401k where they, they take it out and then they tax what's left of yes. your, your... Yes, yeah. absolutely. <clears throat> and if you would, uh, very quickly, just about uh, half a minute left, remind us again the difference between a Roth IRA and the, uh, the, the traditional one. Ah, so that is actually the difference between a Roth IRA and a traditional one. Traditional one, the money that goes in, it lowers your income for tax purposes, or it is a deduction for tax purposes. Uh, but when And it grows tax-free, and then when you take it out, you pay income tax on it. You avoid income tax on the beginning, you pay income tax on the end. A Roth IRA is the other way around. You pay income tax on the front end, so hopefully when you're young, you're in a low tax bracket, you're hardly making any money, uh, it grows tax-free and you withdraw it tax-free. Uh, so if you think you're going to be in a low tax bracket now, or you have a long time to let that grow, that's when you see the benefit. All right, that's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash money talks. Or listen to our podcast. Search for Money Talks with your favorite podcast app. Our show was produced today by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Jay White. So for Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's In Legal Terms. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.